0: On today's episode of the Hitman podcast, Mo and I had the pleasure of sitting down with WNBA legend Cappy Pondexter. We talked to her about her illustrious 14-year career in the league and a bunch of cool topics including which sneakers are her go-to's, her tattoos, playing overseas, winning a gold medal. We also get off into some really important subjects including how she feels about social injustice going on in the country today, the NBA restart and what it means to the cause. I'm trying to downplay it. I just want to give y'all a taste, but this is quite possibly the greatest interview in the history of interviews. Episode 8, Fresh Out the Pot. Let's do it.
1: Yeah,
0: you know what's going on each and every week. Whenever you hear that MVP chant, you know what's the deal. It's the most valuable podcast in the world, The Hitman Podcast. What's going on Yo, another week? My brother Mo, what's the deal? What's happening, bro?
1: Not much. Chilling, bro. I'm excited for today. Actually, I'm like, I'm, I've been waiting. I went and got a workout in, you know what I'm saying? Came back to the crib, got me a meal. I'm, I'm, <laughs> hey, we got a special guest, man. I am thirsty. I'm glad. Oh my God. It feel like, like I
0: robbed a bank or something, bro. Oh, man. <laughs> these interviews, these target practice interviews, have been getting bigger and bigger every time we do them, bro. But this one right here got to be the biggest one.
1: Absolutely. My Absolutely. Goodness
0: you talking about Chi-Town royalty. You're talking about Hall of Fame. All they got to do is put the statue up. You're talking about 14 years in the WNBA. You're talking about yeah. killer personified. Yeah. Welcome in, y'all. I've been
1: thirsty.
0: The queen of Chicago, Miss Cappy Pondexter. Welcome to the Welcome show, to the Cappy. Show. How you feeling? How you doing?
2: Um, Everything is, everything is good, mashallah. Um, no complaints, you know. Our um, lives are good to me. Um, it's good to the people around me. And I couldn't ask for anything else. Um, I think during this time, it's kind of difficult to for anybody to feel anything because there's so much going on. And I think it's just a time where we just have to continue to, to give and, and spread love and, and positivity. Because, I mean, turn on the news, go outside is just it's like whatever you know it's like so much going on but i think if we just continue to just stay positive with each other and just kind of better the society in general i think i think we'll be better well off after all of this
1: absolutely absolutely well said definitely uh cap I'm excited personally to have you on the show. I've been following Chicago hoops since I was a shorty. So um, I don't know to our listeners that's going to be listening. I don't know if you know her pedigree, but I'm going to lay it out there. Tripping if so you So people can know exactly who we're talking to. We got a two-time WNBA champion, a finals MVP, seven-time All-Star, gold medalist. You, st- you right now ranked number four in points all time number seven is assist all time and you were named one of the top 15 greatest M- WNBA players of all time so i'm just honored to have you on the show and i just want to start off by like for people who really don't know you are from chicago you were born in cali but you know raised in chicago uh went to marshall high school and there you were the first person to be miss basketball two years in a row back to year- back baby yeah. back to back <laughs> you know? baby and, like Drake and, said. <laughs> <laughs> and you also, also you also played for Dorothy Gators, a legendary yeah. coach out of Chicago. Um, I just want to start off by, what did you love from, for basketball? When did that start? And then how did uh, Coach Gators take you to that next level?
2: Uh, I think it's just like, when you go to any major city, New York, LA, Chicago, Seattle, DC, when you go to all these urban cities, there's only a few things that separate the people that grew up in the the hood, in the urban community. And that's either making it out as a rapper or an athlete. And that's all you really see. And so, my dad was a Marine, and so he wasn't really around like that in my early childhood life. So my brother was like my father figure for me. Um, My mother raised me and him by herself. And He would have to babysit me like all the time, like all the time. But he was, he loved basketball. He did. And one day I think like, I don't know, he was running a game or something like that. And you know, kids, what they do when they go to a park, they running around. They're not really like caring like where they are, what the adults talking about. They're having fun because they're in the playground. So I, I believe that I was running this is like, I do remember this. I, I was running on on the court while they were playing in the middle of their game. And one of his friends got frustrated at me and was like, yo, Cap, like, go sit down on the side. And he threw me a basketball. And from that moment, I was just like, I think I got frustrated. It was like, you know what? I'm gonna prove to my brother that I can play with y'all. And that's, that's where my <laughs> love started from. And I wanted to show him every single day that I could actually do the same things that he did with the basketball. And that's how his love grew. Like I would try to impress them every single day, whether it was like dribbling behind my back, dribbling between my legs, like any cool thing right. that were just to say like, no, I really, I really love it just like you, or I wanted to do it just like you, you know? And then it just grew and I became like really, really good by the age of 10.
1: Dope, dope. And um, this kind of, I want to bring it up later, but you just talking about being at the park, hooping with the boys, one of my favorite clips our line is you going back and forth with Sebastian Telfair at an open oh run. God. I don't know Legendary. if you're saying that, but Legendary. you going bucket for bucket <laughs> with him at an open run. And it's like, I mean, I already knew from being at the crib, but that that clip just for me lets you, I just know you a killer. Like you don't care who you are. I'm coming at you, I'm not backing down. And so um that's kind of, that's what I think your game epitomizes to me. And like, just speak on Dorothy Gators a little bit about how she, you know, um how she got you to that next level and going to Rutgers.
2: Well, I mean she was just like she was ahead of her time you know like I mean I knew how great she was, and that was the reason why I decided to go from a private institution to a public school um solely because I wanted to play for a legendary coach and i I, I knew her I studied her um I talked to her and her approach about things were just a, just a lot different than any coach that um that I had been a part of to that time. You know, she was just like, she was like pro ready, already. Like the things that we did in practice, the way that our practices were were set up, you know, obviously we were were endorsed by Nike. So we had like all the swag, all the shoes before they came out, but we had to work for it. It wasn't like, it wasn't like it was given to us. We had to condition for our stuff for the beginning of the season, like every year. And I think that mindset was just, it it prepared me for Rutgers to play for another legendary coach who's Coach Stringer but I have to say this like if it wasn't for a lot of the guys that played basketball in Chicago like Luther Head Will Bynum um Sean Dockery um Steven Hunter um Tony Allen yeah like Shannon Shannon Brown like I play with these dudes every single day and if it wasn't for their attitude towards me in terms of being on the court, I, I definitely would have had the attitude that I have again when it came to competing later in my, my career. They shaped me, you know, yeah. they, they never made it easy for me. They knocked me down. And you can talk to any one of them, I promise, and they'll tell you like crazy stories about us hooping. Yeah. yeah. And like, I never backed down from it. And I think it kind of shaped me um, when I got to high school to play for Coach, coach uh, Dorothy Elgators. And then later
1: when I went to Rutgers. Yeah, that's super dope. I remember watching all those guys like Luther Head and Dockery. I was a youngin, but there's a show that used to come on on TV called, I think it was like Hoops Chicago or something like that. Or Chicago, Chicago Preps. Yeah, yeah, Chicago Preps. And <laughs> I used to get home every day after school and I used to watch that. And that was, that was my first taste of like seeing who the real like ball players that were going to make it to the league from Chicago were. So, You'd have yeah. been playing with them. I mean, your game shaped out nicely. I can see I can see that you play with them for sure. Yeah, I was, so.
0: at, I was out at uh, Proviso East, and so she spoke on D and Shannon. They were back-to-back Mr. Basketball. And just speaking on, like, killers on an everyday basis, like, you in, you're in there with savages, and you showing them, like, I can get in here and, and <laughs> kill y'all just as much as anything else. You actually kind of beat me to my question. Uh, I like to, when, when they talk about, like, Mamba mentality or they talk about uh, being in the zone in terms of certain players, what I describe your game as calling is the kill switch, because seeing you off the court, um, especially when you were here playing for the Sky in Chicago, your demeanor off the court is uh, is very is very like chill, like you're laid back, you're reserved, but when you on the court, you are an animal, you're ferocious. <laughs> And I like I, I'm, I'm getting chills even just thinking about it because I've been in the building for, you know, a handful of your games when you on the Liberty and obviously when you came to play for the sky. But I just wanted you to kind of touch on where does that come from or where does that that mentality come from where it's almost like a light switch. Like you when you're off the court, you're the sweetest person in the world. You're a wonderful spirit. And then when you on the court, I will rip your throat out to win this game <laughs> to get to that basket. And it's I, I just don't understand. Like just touch on that duality. Like where does that come from? How did you get to that point?
2: Um, it was just it just grew. Like obviously playing with the guys, it kind of gave me that competitive spirit because like if, in the beginning, like they wouldn't even pick me to get on the court. It was always like, Nah, you're a girl. You gotta wait to later to the to the runs get weak, you know, and everybody's tired. And so I just waited it out, and then as I, you know, slowly began to get picked up with some of those guys that we mentioned, um, you know, it's just yeah, I belong here, and it's just it, it, and anybody in Chicago has this attitude because we have to survive through so much. Like, it's not it's not about anything else. Like basketball was a survive a survival. Um, it was just a, a survival, like. Mechanism for us. Like it was the first thing that we can escape to and get rid of our problems that we see the day to day, whether it was in school or our homes. And you had to have the attitude to survive in Chicago. It was nothing else. Right. Um, and I think, right. you know, I think it's just, it just moved on the court, you know, or in everything that we decide to do in life, it just kind of rolls on to our everyday thing. And, <clears throat> and I think, you know, like, Not just me. I just think it's all of our pedigrees in Chicago. Like we all act the same. Like if you have a conversation with all of us off the court, it's like a whole totally different person that you wouldn't even expect or even think. Um, but when it comes to being on a basketball court, we think we're the best city to produce basketball players. That's our mindset. And and so (laughs) we're coming to take everything from you on the court. If we can possibly.
1: (laughs) Most definitely. Um, the Chicago basketball scene is a special one. It's just, it's nothing like it. I've been different places and it's just nothing like Chicago basketball. Just, you know, you will hear somebody over here the best. You'll hear somebody across town the best. And, you know, once you get on, you might be decent people, but when we get on this floor is, you know, every man for himself. So, um, definitely a special scene. Uh, you end up going to Rutgers, you dominate mm-hmm. there. Uh, you win a uh, woman player of the year at, um, at Rutgers. And, uh you end up going second in the draft to Phoenix, and you get paired with Dion- Diana Taurasi, uh, who was a killer in all in her own right. And yeah. uh, in your <laughs> second year, you win the championship, and you win the MVP. You heard the MVP now,
0: chat in the beginning of the show. That was the, we was calling <laughs> Cap to the stage right there.
1: It's a di- that's a different type of talk right there. The MVP talk is different, you know. So uh, you win the MVP, and then like I just want to know. Your second year in the league, you win the MVP. How do you continue, like, to motivate yourself to take your career to new heights after winning so early in your career?
2: It was a challenge. I think I had to play against the politics because I thought I should have won MVP in our second mm. championship in 2009, but they All gave right. it to Tarasi, we teammate she shared it. <laughs> she shared it with me, which I appreciate because I think she, she understood the moment of time. And, um... You know, and it's crazy because like people don't think that racism exists in sports, but it really does. You know what I mean? And I think she she acknowledged that early. Um for me, she acknowledged that early. And I and I'm very appreciative of her um her empathy on that situation. Um, because it was it was easy, she could have just been like, nah, this is all me, but she shared it. And I yeah. think that was that 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 said a lot. Um but for me, I was just—I was always striving to do better. Like, if I can do this, that means I can do more, and that was just always my mindset. And I, I'm not saying that I—I I regret anything, but I think me leaving Phoenix kind of altered my career, um, in the sense where the story didn't play out like they wanted to politically. Yeah, and I think it was against everything that they wanted. But they understood that New York needed that kind of role player. And from that time, I think I was labeled as an a Iverson. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I started getting tattoos. Right, I started really expressing myself artistically as an individual, as an African woman. I started <clears throat> really speaking out uh, vocally about things. Um, I started doing things. I, I started my company in New York. I was just doing a lot of things differently that they were not ready for, and I think it kind of, I don't know, put a little sour taste in their mouth, um, so to speak, but now I think they kind of appreciate everything that I was standing for during that time, because look where we are today, they understand the importance of, ready you know what i mean absolutely most definitely not for nothing
1: before but but just to touch on it uh that 2009 nba finals uh if you listen and do your homework you iced that game and you iced that game that was that was one of the best series in WNBA history you know and and, and that was a battle with the fever like you guys did your thing
2: nobody understands like okay so like when they came into game one we knew we were in a shitload of trouble. We knew that because mm. we were having issues um, team-wise because, you know, like winning the first championship it's easy, you get relaxed. When we are going for the second one, we kind of relaxed a little bit, you know, as a group. And I think they put us on our heels. We are like, whoa, we can actually right. lose this. You know what I'm right. saying? Yeah. And you know, so I guess when we had the deciding game to come back to Phoenix, I think we, it was game four and. Um, game four in Indiana, I went to the coach. And I'm like, yo, give me the ball, isolate me, stop playing. Mm-hmm. Like, this is my conversation with him. Like, if we were trying to bring it back talk to field give me the ball. It's, noth- it's nothing else that they can do. They can't stop it. Right. I should go away from isolating me at the top of the key. I know we need to get to Rossi touches. I understand that. But they can't stop me at this top of the key. Mm-hmm. And I think he understood that. And, you know, like you said, if you do your research and you look at game four to five, then you understand, like, what really won game four for us, what took us back to game five in Phoenix. And what propelled us was I had a torn retina. Catchers had torn my right, retina. Right, 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 And, you know, I, I, they was like, you got to get surgery right away. We have to dilute your eye. There's no way you can play. And I'm like, I'm looking at the doctors like they're crazy. I'm like, why would I... No, this is game five. Like, what player in this time does that? Like, no player (laughs) that I know of. I'm like, I have to go back out and win this, help win this game. And sure enough, I didn't get my eye um, diluted. I went back out with a closed eye, bruised everything and helped them win. And I think it said a lot about us um In our character, because it was like, like you said, it was like one of the best series, but it was one of the toughest games that I've ever faced in my career. Absolutely. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was a cool experience. And I, and I'm not, I should have won, I should have won MVP in two thousand and nine too. Uh, Talk to me. They, 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 didn't want the black girl to win back to back. It's
1: cool. <laughs> Let me ask you something. um Like, I don't know the particulars about it,
2: but did you ask for a trade out of Phoenix? I After did 2009? I did. I did. I asked for a trade. I did. Okay. It was it was a lot going on, man. Like people people just look at like basketball as just like this sport that's so cool, which it is, and I'm not taking it away, but, but when you get to a certain level, it ain't even about the basketball no more.
1: Mm.
2: It's something way deeper and mm. and it's part mm. of the reason why I retired because like fighting that fight, you know, and it's just like any profession. Um there's systematic racism and you get tired of fighting that fight you get tired of it and for me i never thought basketball was my whole existence in my life you know i always knew that i was i was um geared up for something bigger something way better you know basketball was just a vehicle for me i've I've always understood that um it was like one of the unwritten agreements between me and my mom to let me play you know what i mean so like it's just something that always stayed in the back of my mind. I made sure I got, you know, I made sure I got my degree. I made sure, I just made sure that I had things to kind of bounce back off after basketball was done. And I just never thought it was the be all, end all to everything, you know what I mean? And if I can teach people that, that's what I want to do because I think it's about, like LeBron says, you know, it's about being more than that. Most
0: definitely. Absolutely. Most definitely. So you go back, you go back to your second home in a sense. You get to the Liberty, and mm-hmm. um, it's almost like I said, it's almost like a homecoming because you had roots there from being at Rutgers. Talk about the experience being back in New York, playing at the Garden, uh, and just essentially having your own team in a sense. Like obviously, you all were uh, twin tower, twin dogs out in Phoenix with Tarazi, but now when you get to the Liberty, like this is this is really time for you to getting cappy mode so just talk about the the overall experience in new york and just what it meant to you
2: it was great you know it was, it was like i thought my first year was like wow this is the beginning of something great we have fourteen thousand fans in the playoff game selling out for every game in the garden um, for women's sports is unheard of then you have one of the best coaches to ever play, coach in women's basketball, Ann Donovan. Rest in peace to her. Um, we had one of the best years, but Donovan, he, he did not want to play Ann Donovan, everything that she deserved her second year. So it kind of, it broke us up. It mm-hmm. broke us up, and I think it was kind of the downfall of the New York Liberty, in a sense, because we we, we had built the core group. I thought, I thought we had we were in the beginning stages of really building the core foundation. 2010 showed that we had potential yeah. to really be yeah. a, a championship contender team. And Dolan obviously had other plans, you know. And, you know, we, we, know. we moved. <laughs> we know. The reconstruction <laughs> happened. We had to move to Jersey for three years because they were doing the whole garden cleanup and uh, reinventing the look. And so we spent three years in New Jersey Devils um, Arena, and it wasn't the best arena. Um, and it was far from our fan base, so it was like we had to rebuild a whole new fan base in New Jersey. It was a lot. It was just a lot of transition. I never had the same coach. Um, you know, I had Bill and Beer. I had um, Wisnick. It, it was just a lot, you know? And then when Bill came, in, and him didn't See eye to eye. He wanted to change and make New York the the Detroit Shock all over again. And I think you know, being one of the, being the franchise, one of the franchise players, and him being a manager, I think we didn't see eye to eye in the beginning. And you know, it was a lot of going back and forth. Him not really respecting my opinion. Um, I'm not really listening to his opinion. You know, it was a lot. You know, and I think um, at the same time, Chicago were having transitions too in their organization. Yeah, Tiffany Prince wanted to leave Chicago. Pokey Chapman, who who's been a good um, ally of mine since college, really. Um, she wanted me in Chicago, you know. And at this moment, when I when when the trade happened between Chicago and New York. I had a contract for the sparks in yeah, my you hand. you
0: was going to LA, right, right, right.
2: I was supposed to sign to LA and I didn't. I took the chance with Chicago. And I, I took the chance because I looked at an opportunity to kind of recreate the scenario that Phoenix had with a star player um, that I that had so much potential like myself. And I was like, okay, Del- Deladon did great her first year. She hungered for a championship. All she needed is me. I got the pedigree to right. put on everybody else. Let's make it happen. But I didn't know that there were obviously um, a lot of situations going on in terms of um, the organization, business part of it. So you know, it was a little, it was a, it was a the same thing. You know, the business part of things. And uh, she wanted to trade to Washington. I had to respect it. They were looking to make a changes. They fired Pokey. And so I decided to go to LA. Yeah. And that's how that happened. LA waved me after what, my what halfway point? They waved me and then Pokey picked me up again and then and that's when I finished. And at that point I knew I was done because I was tired of, you know, being ran around and, and giving a story about this or that. And, you know, I just decided to, you know, start my life
1: absolutely um one of the things that i really like i didn't even when you made your announcement that you're retiring i didn't realize how long you had played because how but not in a bad way because of the level that you were still playing exactly and, it seemed like it. and was so good. it just seemed like okay if she's leaving she's just tired of the game you know um and you kind of explained that as to your decision to retire and i just really felt like okay not retiring at the top of your game but you still got that championship pedigree you still can get buckets like i i didn't it just took me for a shock i didn't like oh cabbie it kind of hit it kind of hit Damn. me
0: like uh it kind of hit me like a barry sanders or like a calvin <laughs> johnson no for real like no 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 bs it kind of hit me like man she's still at the peak of her powers she can get to the rack whenever she wants and like you said yourself in the right situation you still got two or three championships out there for you to reel on in so kudos to you for you know taking control of your life and taking control of your situation not letting the business of basketball you know like just push you and, and pull you in any any one way or direction um,
2: but i gotta be honest though guys too because it, it wouldn't be right if i if i'm sharing my thoughts and my story if, if i'm not truthful you right. know i suffer from ptsd you know because of it you know it was like it was a, a different awakening for me, you know, like to do something for 14, 13 years professionally, but then starting at the age of 10, pretty much did it all, all, all my life. Yeah, that's all and you then know. now I have to wake up and then I don't know what to do, you know? Right, so it was right. a, things that I was suffering from mentally um, that, you know, a lot of players don't really like to talk about because it kind of seems like you're weak or you're going through something. And, Everybody wants to put on this cool persona, but at the end of the day, like every athlete that retires or been cut, kind of goes through this thing. And basketball is a is a is mental. It's it's a tough it's a tough business. It's a tough game, and you know it's not it's not something easy to get over. And I'm still getting over it. You know I miss basketball, but I don't want to play because of other reasons. You know it's Mm -hmm. not that. It's not that, you know, I don't miss competing or trying to build up all this momentum to win a championship because I like winning, but to go against, oh, well, we're not going to play you today because, yeah, we heard that this or that, you know, it just, it, it just became too much. And, mm. you know, and I think, I don't know, I think I was just kind of ready to do other things, you know, ready for family and kids and stuff like that. So. Well, yeah. I think it was just perfect timing for me to kind of transition out, and now now I can think about the Hall
1: of Fame one day. Oh, that's soon. That's that's coming sooner than later. Got just waiting on it. We just waiting (laughs) on it at this point. Uh, But you do your thing. Like you do your thing in the WNBA. Um, You got championships in the US, but people don't know you also was getting championships international. Yeah, you made that Euro step, you know. And so. You go over and you win championships in Turkey, and you and you play internationally. And I don't think a lot of people know um, a lot of uh, you know women pros. You, that's like I guess you want to call it the side hustle. Some for some it's the main hustle to go internationally and play. Um, just describe the difference in with WNBA and then playing overseas, if you could like give give it in a nutshell.
2: I can. Um, obviously, like playing in the WNBA gives you like visibility and awareness um, people can kind of learn you who you are because like you know they see you every day or they see you whenever games are played or they see that the WBA is promoting you so obviously it's like this excitement you know because it's American sports but then like when you go to Europe you know like everybody's not blessed with the same opportunities you know it just depends on your level of play who you are your agent and you know I was blessed to do some really cool things. You know, I played for a lot of great clubs and um, the experience was great. You know, they treated me like, I feel like the WBA should treat every player that plays for All the right. organization. We charted everywhere, we stayed in nice hotels, we had translators, we had drivers. It was just a lot of cool aspects to just being comfortable over there that they made it for us. And on top of paying us way more than what the WBA did, it was just an overall great experience. I and mean, if you love to travel and if you love culture, if you learn, love learning about new things, I think it's it's like the perfect marriage. And I enjoyed doing this. It's like from the first moment I signed my first contract uh, with Finnebachi, um, to my last contract in, in Cyprus. You know, it was just, it was an amazing experience. I love my teammates. You know, I love um, competing and winning championships for clubs because like, Still to this day, I think my biggest fan base is in Istanbul, Turkey. Right, and they write yeah. me every single day, and they're like, "We miss you, Queen. When you coming back? We want you to coach for us." And I'm like, "Lord, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, if they give me five million to coach for one year, I do it. But coach cap, I'm not. I'm not really interested in coaching. That's not really what my direct. I'm so artistic that I'll be, I'll be. I think I'll be cheating myself right now if I was to to coach. That's
0: honest. You said that you said that a couple of times in interviews that coaching is not really the vein that you want to go into. It's more of a mentorship, uh, yeah. pushing pushing the people that you see potential in. Uh, so I respect yeah. that. Just being conscious of, of knowing your purpose. You spoke a bit on Cyprus as well uh, when you were out there. When you went, like, you weren't, a, you weren't, there was no apprehension in, in terms of going overseas. you were just going to hoop, but learning the language, getting accustomed to the food, the time change, being away from your family, none of that stuff really phased you when you went over there?
2: Mm-mm.
0: Wow. No. Wow. I wow.
2: think, and, I'm a, wow. and this is just my honest opinion, like, I think it didn't phase me because I found out my nationality, um, my family's nationality a year, last summer. And there's no American in me. None. Yeah. I'm not Not one, one ounce of American blood in me. It's all African, Nigerian.
1: Oh, there you go, Mo. Yeah. Cousin, Cabby. Niger- Niger- Nigerian <laughs> and Ghanaian right here, so I'm with and you. And I'm
2: Jamaican too. So it was just okay. like, and the rest is European. So it was just like, it, I now understand why it was easy for me to adjust. It was just like, it was a part of- It's in you, right. It's, yeah, it's just, it, I never looked at it as different. I just was like, oh, this is cool. Learning about other people and cultures and stuff. And I've always wanted to travel the world and stuff and see the world. So it was easy for me. I never did a countdown. I never did any of that. Like, I'm ready to go home. You know, I was comfortable. I had my cousin living with me too, like, where when I was, I was over there. So it was like, I had somebody to depend on. But even if he wasn't there, I think I still would have went out and I would have made friends, like I've made friends in every city. You know, I did fashion weeks in every city almost. Like I've I've networked with some of the best fashion industries in every country that I've been in. I've ate with some of the, you know what I mean? Like I've done all these cool things in all these different countries that now, I, you know, if I'm like, yo, I'm I'm on I'm my way to Istanbul, or I'm headed to Russia, or I'm coming to Australia, with Cyprus, I think my friends would be like, "Oh yeah, don't get a hotel. You stand with us." Boom. Man. Type of thing. Like. Yeah. And so I, I just, I just made sure I just kind of built those kind of relationships, you know, along the way. It's dope.
0: You sound like James Bond out here, right, bro? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's sure, talk about God. the fashion for a second, though, because that's one, that's one of the things that I wanted to touch <laughs> on as far as you being in New York and now, obviously, in L. A. Um, even a little bit of international flair might have inspired you you started your your styling management company when you were out in New York Uh, obviously you were a fixture on the scene when it comes to fall and uh, when it comes to fall fashion week talk about your love for your love and your passion for the fashion scene and when you look at players like Russ and uh, PJ Tucker and guys like that you were a pioneer in the league in terms of wearing what you wanted to wear with the tattoos and just talk about how all of that stuff is encompassed within the fashion sense within new york city
2: um just being in new york it wasn't it didn't happen overnight i think i was part of that culture where we made it cool for athletes to be a part of fashion right um because like when when i first started i not and i never had a style i probably should have had one but it made my life a lot (laughs) easier um and i probably would have saved a lot of hours but then it probably would've took away my fun for shopping. Right. But, right. Um, I don't know, I think it was just, I was at that time period where people were just like, no, athletes and fashion just don't mix. Y'all, nah, it's not it. And I was just pushing, I was pushing it, so I started the image consulting company because I was like, it's not fair that anybody can be fashionable, but when it comes to athletes, it, it, we we can't be seen in the same sense. And it's not right because like, yo, we want to look good after the games. We want to dress and fit clothes that look cool too. Like, and I knew at that time, my body was a lot different than what it is now. Mm-hmm. I was, I was a lot thicker. Um, my muscle, muscle tone's a lot stronger. Um, so it was hard for me to find like, like cool things that right, I could stuff fit. stuff that lay right. right.
0: Yeah, you can't get fits off.
2: No fits off. Right. Um, and I think the shoes were a little difficult too for, for women, you know, cause I had a bigger foot than, than the average woman at the time. So it was just like, it was a little different. Now it's, it's come along so much that like anybody can be fashionable at this point now. It doesn't even matter like your height, your size, like there's something out there for you. And I think like, it was just like players like me, uh, Westbrook, LeBron, Carmelo, Chris Paul, we really fought to Make our voices known. Yeah, pushing you know the envelope. On just that. A, Showing it our was creativity. important yeah. And a lot of them like they got stylists. You no, know, I really don't know what they're <laughs> <real stylists. laughs> But I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't need a stylist. You know
1: no stylist.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we got <laughs> this on our own, bro. One. Don't worry about it. Because it makes life
2: easier. But I naturally got like swag anyway, so
1: absolutely absolutely you wanted to um i hate this word but i gotta just use it. drip like you got to, <laughs> you got. To, uh, i'm like it's words done yeah, that word is dead but you got you know you got you got some. you got some of the most drip on um on the ig definitely you always give us i, I have my moments like, when i'm here you know i'm private so i share what i want
2: really. but yeah if you see me on the day to day you'll be like oh no nah, she cold
1: so one of, one of the
0: things that I really wanted to talk about on that on that vein was the tats. I had hit you on the live when you were uh, talking about it. I'm a tat rat myself. I just started getting, I'm trying to get a bodysuit, but I wanted, a couple, uh- I, <laughs> I wanted to talk about a couple. I wanted to talk about a couple of the what? pieces. Bro, hold on,
1: hold on. What? You said you about to get a bodysuit, bro? Yeah, you bro. It's a, a it's a
0: tattoo term. Uh-huh. Relax. Uh-huh. Relax, big dog.
1: It's basically like you just
0: got tats all over. Don't do not do me like that, bro. The, you going to do me like that in front of the cat, bro? Don't, nah, don't show out in front of the Yeah,
1: bro. I know i need to start i need to start my tat little thing in the, the summer hopefully i don't know with, <laughs> with this corona i might have to just chill till 2021. Girl!
0: so cap you <laughs> you got the you got the WNBA logo tattered on you i saw that you had the um the the african queen tattered on you as well you got the love oh, on your yeah. on one of your arms I, I don't remember which one it's on how many tattoos do you have so far
2: that's a hard question i think i lost count so I, I can kind of give you a rundown, like my whole back is covered. Um, my arms are pretty much sleeved up for the most part from like fingertip to shoulder. Um, I covered back. the WBA tattoo. That was like, a, that was like a, a moment of history for me. Um, I covered it and yeah, I, got, I mean, I still got room, you know, there's there are pieces and stuff that I want to do. I haven't had a tattoo in three years. And it was never about like the trend that, that, that's kind of going on. It was never about that. It was just about being creative, expressing who I was through art. And obviously, you know, I thought tattooing was, it was expressive. I, I like to find, I, I was like in like this mood of trying to find like cool artists. And yeah, I just worked with a lot of cool artists um, along the way. Yeah. I'm excited to kind of finish and kind of get my body thing,
1: like you mentioned, going to, I guess, <laughs> A body I just learned what that is today. So, you know. <laughs> my fault I'm, first, my I'm fault, big
0: though. into it. I go to the I go to the Empire Empire State Tattoo Conventions. Ink Master is one of my favorite shows. I'm really into I love tattoos. I just took forever to get one. Whenever I had the time to do it, I didn't have the money. When I had the money, I was so wrapped up in work. So, it just never really... Like, worked out the way it did. Luckily for me, though, I got my first one right before COVID hit. Like, maybe a week before when everything got shut down. So, if I wouldn't have just had okay. the nerve to do it then, it would have been over. But since I got it, I've been fiending to get more and more and more. So, I can understand where you're coming from. It's just expressing and it's art. You've always um, talked about being an artistic. So, uh, you mentioned in several interviews that you collect art. You go to art galleries. Obviously, you express yourself through your fashion. Were you the type of person where outside of basketball, uh, was art an outlet for you? Did you paint? Did you draw? Did you do things like that growing up?
2: No, I didn't paint. I was just a fan of people that did. Um, but I can, you know, if I really wanted to like dig deep into it, you know, like I've done things here and there um, for like charity events and stuff. Um, but not- nothing serious. I think I'm just more of a, a person that likes to see art. Um, so I was in the art scene a little bit, um, you know, in New York. You know, I got a, a lot of friends that are in the art world but, um, in California too. Uh, but I just, I think it's just always been a, a part of our culture as people, um, especially as Africans. Like it's just not the way we've expressed ourselves, you know, through art and music and fashion, you know. Um, so yeah, I just, I'm just that kind of person, you know, like I think basketball came early in my life when I needed it most. And now, now that I'm in California, I have the opportunity to explore so much now. Um, and I'm excited for my journey. I'm excited to start the second phase of, I guess, Cappy's career, right uh, so to speak. Yeah. And, uh, I think... You know, I'm lining myself up to do great things. You know, there's a lot of things that I'm interested in. Um, one thing in particular is uh, writing a movie, and I kind of started the process on it. Okay. I kind of stopped during the time of COVID. You know, because it's just been mentally like draining. Then I did Ramadan, so I didn't really like pick it up again. But you yeah. know, I was talking to one of my friends today, and I was like, "Dang, like I really should." start writing a movie again and i think i am it's just you know when it comes to writing you get block writer's block you get kind of distracted with things and then you kind of lose sense of like <clears throat> this eagerness to write but you know it, it never leaves but the end but it does come back and when it comes back that's where you have to start again so i'm excited for the journey i think is it's, it's, it's going to be a great movie because it's something that affected me early in my, my life uh, as a teenager. We're definitely, definitely going to be looking out
0: definitely. for it. I bring I bring up the artistic aspect of you because we had uh, Mike Dowdy on last week. Uh, More than Mike D. Shout out to Mike. He makes some really powerful pieces uh, that are speaking to social injustice and um, we can actually get a couple of samples over to you uh, for your email or for you to check them out but he's a really good uh, social commentator right now in terms of what's going on. Um mm-hmm. You you have been a bit outspoken in regards to the restart of the NBA season. You mentioned that you stood with Kyrie and his stance on uh standing up to standing up to the league and telling them that this is not the right time for basketball. Even today, uh Gabby Williams came out and said that she shares the same sentiment. Uh if you could just give us your thoughts on the restart of the NBA season as well as I know you obviously you know the the WNBA they signed a 22 game uh season and they're gonna get started down at IMG um around the same time that the NBA season is started so just give your perspective on the state of, of of the country right now and why you took the stance you did and saying you still with
2: Kyrie because there's a bigger fight you know like basketball is cool and shit. it's cool I think it, you know it's a great way to make money if you're involved in it in whatever terms with your coach whether your trainer whether you know, you in the organization selling tickets, whatever you are a part of in terms of helping the team be successful, I think it's cool. But at the end of the day, when you turn on the news and you go outside, what do you see? What are the issues? And a lot of people think that these issues don't happen in in these workplaces. They do. Systematic oppression has happened in every profession that we can think of. It's just the way it's always been. It's the way, you know, when you go back and do your research and you look at your history and think about players that talked about it, it's happened in the 60s. You think about Bill Russell and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They had to fight through all of that. And it just doesn't make sense that we're that blinded that we can't see that even though it's 2020, the shit still is happening. They want you to go bounce for basketball to take everybody's minds off of what's important. And that's not fair. You're selfish if you're doing it. You know you know why you're selfish, guys? You're selfish because this is not even your time to play. Your season ends June 9th. Hmm. The WNBA the is happening right now. Right. So you're even selfish to even say that you even want to play and finish the season off doing the WNBA time. We don't even make that amount of money. Right. You guys still got paid guaranteed. This is your vacation time. Chalk it up, go have a vacation, and let's wait to 2021. 20, but no, we want to do a test dummy on B. Te- we want to do a test run on the WNBA. Who's gonna watch that shit? It's 22 games. We barely can get fans to watch 32 games in the regular season. True. Why would we jeopardize just a few, a little moment to play basketball because we're selfish? To try to not raise attention to what's really happening, or you think you can raise attention, nobody's... Maybe five games on television, somebody will watch. Maybe five WNBA games I'm talking about. Yeah. Realistically. So you want to sacrifice everything that we've worked hard for, for 22 games, in a bubble that ain't nobody gonna watch or remember the season about? I just don't think it's fair. It's it's systematic oppression to me. And I don't think we... I think that they're young and they're in a bubble like most athletes are when they're playing in the NBA or the WBA until it's time to retire, you know? And yeah. I, I just don't I just don't agree with them. I don't think it's the time and place. Especially if entertainers can't go back to performing into two thousand and twenty one. For sure. Same
1: shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Movies can't I mean, movies tough.
0: are being made. Uh, we're not Everything seeing concerts, things like that. So, you, you're, you're, your point How is- are we that
2: special? Yeah, I know we generate that much money, yeah, but come on, like, the fight is way bigger than any amount of money that can be paid. Nobody's life can come back. People yeah. fighting and protesting, like, it's once in a lifetime. People dying from this shit. It's, it's just way bigger than all of our our egos right now. And I think nobody ever planned on the COVID 19 hitting us the way it did right and I think that's just the universe telling us like we so busy as individuals that we never did have time to settle down for ourselves we always work in society yeah and I think it's just time that we just take a backseat to other things that are important we need to talk about these issues that are important we never it's always been band aids over racism Now we need to uncover these band-aids and heal these wounds we talk about these issues. And seeing you play, shoot a basketball or hit a baseball or play football is just not interesting to me. And I don't think it's interesting to the majority of the rest of the world. I think it's just a waste of time that they're trying to do it.
1: Yeah, um, that's a pretty powerful take. Um, And I appreciate you know you giving us your uh, your take on that uh, me and chris actually been going back and forth the past you know few weeks about the issue um even before when before the whole unfortunate passing of George Floyd we were kind of playing around with the you know idea like should they come back should they not come back And then this takes place and you know, uh, racism is the, you know, the topic of discussion right now. And it should be, and it should continue to be that. um, My, I guess where I was at with it was that the platform, you know, that these players have are bigger than the platform, so to say that me and Chris have, we can only reach so many people, but these NBA players and WNBA players could reach a greater audience. So for me, my take was if they have the platform, Maybe they should, you know, uh, try to use it. But you explaining it in the way that you did, being an athlete and being in that light and what you've endured throughout your career, I can see the other side of that. And I think that is a discussion that needs to be had because um, even in the workplace, I go to work, uh, I know Chris has a job and we face these, you know, these issues every day in work, but you would think that in the, in the NBA, which is 90%, to 95% black males and also on the WNBA. At, at I, I don't mean exist. to cut you off. 90% yeah.
2: black males doing what, though?
1: Plan. Exactly. Plan. Exactly. Right. Not right. on the
2: business side of things. Not in the mm-hmm. operations part. So it's right. a big difference. So it's just like shut up, play basketball mm-hmm. and do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> you yeah. know?
0: So. A perfect segue. <laughs> no, I, actually, I actually, wanted to, I actually right. wanted to read something to you, uh, Cap. Just give me a second. It's from uh, Scoop Jackson's book. Uh, and it speaks to the question I have for you. He says, since the year 2000, 67 pro sports franchises have been sold with only the Buffalo Bills, them being aforementioned wife and husband, co-ownership, being purchased by a woman. That's 66 missed opportunities for the leagues to find and recruit wealthy women to steer their franchises. So when you speak about players just being good enough to play, how many black GMs do we have across the board in the big four sports? How many black owners? I,
2: mean, I know of Jordan, and um, I know of Jordan and Magic Johnson. Like those are only two people that I really knew that were publicly um, involved in owning the organization. Exactly. I don't know any. Right. And I mean, LeBron yeah. seems like he's heading in that direction, but then just called an investment deal today with the um, with yeah. the investment group for his um, entertainment industry. I don't know maybe that's not the road that he's looking to go down. Um, but the percentage of African-Americans in the office side of things are very low um, when it comes to owning a sports team. Leadership, right. Um, yeah. And and that's something that has to change. I don't know if it's the people who are in power and not diversifying enough or allowing diversity to infiltrate the organization's but it, it, I think it has to change. I think now's the time. But then also, I don't think players are really looking to get involved in owning teams because it is a headache. It's a lot. It's a lot of pressure to own an organization. A lot goes into it.
1: Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where, like you said, all of them are playing and we don't have enough um, people that are... Representing these teams and general managers, owners, even coaches, you know, um, it's even hard to even break through there. You see a lot of assistant coaches, but you won't see them get the head coaching jobs, which is, uh, you know, kind of messed up. So that 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 kind of goes to my next point. So um, the WNBA, uh, you guys had. Lisa Borders in charge of running the WNBA and she resigned and now Kathy Engelbert is there. Uh, What in your mind could take the WNBA forward? We know we've been having um, talks over the past few years of equal pay yes. um, with with females in sports, uh, specifically the WNBA, when you see how much WNBA players are making in contrast to what NBA players are making, it's kind of ridiculous. So if you could see one thing that Engelbert could do to kind of uh, take the pay up for WNBA players or in general give the game more exposure to um, women and young women, um, what what could be done there?
2: Uh. I mean, they just signed a new CBA, but you know, the, 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 the WNBA is so young, like it's only 25 years old, you know, like it's, yeah. it, it's a, it's a new organization. So there's a lot of like changes. Like when we had, um, Donna Orender, um, right. she has an idea where she wanted every WNBA team to be independently owned, uh, by its own outsource and not the NBA team. And so I think all but probably 10 organizations kind of moved away from that, where they got their own investors and they were not affiliated with an NBA team. And I would say that kind of hurt us in a way right. because I think we were not we were not um, strong enough to survive on our own. And so I think we end up losing a lot of, uh, a lot of equity and the NBA lost a lot of equity. Um, But, you know, we kind of rebounded, you know, I think with the new CBA and the pressures of the players really vocally stating how they didn't want to go to Europe and they wanted to make more money here. I think that's why they were pressured to kind of change the CBA. But this CBA lasts for 10 years, which is a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a long CBA. It's one they negotiated. The players negotiated. They're gonna have to deal with it. Um, I think it should have been shorter. I think maybe five years is the yeah. idea, because ultimately the goal the goal is right. to you want players to make six figures, high six high six figures before taxes so they won't have to go to Europe. you know, that's the whole point. You know, players are making $40,000 as rookies and it's all taxed in every city that you play. Mm. That's living below poverty. You know what I mean? Mm. That's not even like, I mean, people that do, you know, a regular nine to five get paid more than the rookie in the first four years of a WNBA salary. So, you know, it's a lot of disheartening things, but I think we're moving in the right direction, which is important. And the fight obviously is not going to stop, you know, but at the same time we're only 25 years old. Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, a 10 year CBA is long. Hopefully uh, we can find ways to, I don't know, hopefully something can happen within that to help generate more income for these players because the economy is just going to grow. And, you know, uh, You want to be paid at a fair rate. So hopefully those things, you know, those things happen. Um, I want to go to you. We talked about it earlier. Your teammates, um, even your peers, call you somebody that was more than an athlete. And that comes with you after your career, being an investor. Um, I've read about you being an investor and specifically in tech companies. Um, I'm out here in the Bay, the tech capital of the world, actually, uh, been working in tech companies. So I see how fast this stuff, you know, how fast this stuff moves. Um, tell me what got you into, you know, investing, um, taking over your own finances and then, um, what drew drew you to tech companies?
2: Well, you know, just being transparent, I had lost everything from some bad investments that I had prior to me Gaining the knowledge from one of my mentors, and I didn't realize that, like, you know, you have like all these angel hair investors that come at you about all these different like investment opportunities, and you lose out on a lot of a lot of it, you know. But when my mentor explained to me the the difference between angel hearing investments and ETFs, I think ETF is a, it's it's a stronger secure investment in terms of like making a return back um Mm -hmm. investing in tech obviously has bloomed in the last 10 years um because of technology and all these different apps and all these companies that are being created through the apps it's just it's just gone to a whole nother world and Silicon Valley has took control of it because they were like the first to really Mm -hmm. invest in these tech companies and now you're seeing like all these NBA players who are involved in it, you know, like Stephen Curry, LeBron, mm. and Andre Igo Abdawa, um, Draymond Green, uh, Carmelo Anthony, like it's yeah. just so many players that are out there investing now in tech. That I was just like, wow, this is so crazy that it never was taught to the WNBA. Nothing about financial mm. literacy, nothing about empowering and really building your money that you're making, you know what I mean? Because like, even though, like after your rookie year, you know, you're able to make some money in the WBA. You can make a, I don't know, 118,000. Just think about that money that you could save in the summer and invest it in tech and save your money that you made in Europe. But these are not the conversations that were being had from the beginning. Mm. You know, it took me to lose something, a few things to understand the importance of investing in this stuff and so, I just, I just continue to learn about the investment world. And I was just getting all these players in, in investment deals, like football players sure. and basketball players. And I still, still do to this day, it's not something that I see myself doing full time, but like we just got a deal that just came through um, last week and I got a few players into it. So I do things like that. When the information comes past me, my email, you know, players that I know, that would take advantage of it or interested in investing, I'll just send it that way because here you are. This is like this last C round. You have you got a you got like a few thousand just sitting around that can just make money from, you know, just from a last C round. And when the, the company goes public, you can make your money right back. Right. Why not? And so, you know, I think I don't know, I just I don't know, I just I just like instead of going to a club wasting 10 to $20,000, I'd rather the players invest into the stock where they can just have money working while they're working. Cause I don't want nobody to go through what I had to go through. It took me an L to understand, understand. You, you know what I mean? And I and I just don't want players to have to go through that. I feel like
0: you rest. appreciate it more now. Absolutely. Just the lessons that you learn and how fun it is I'm so appreciative. <laughs> you, can, you can feel it just talking to you. Like you, you were built for it. Not that you, like you said, you don't want younger players and people that are in that position to kind of be affluent to make to, to go through what you went through, but you can tell now that you've gone through that fire and you're you're much more well equipped now. You say you have a financial advisor and a mentor uh, that's kind of put you on the right path. I don't
2: I don't have a financial advisor, but I definitely have a mentor. It's not hard to get a financial advisor. It's just because. You know, obviously, you want to do your research and know your own yeah. knowledge first because I think that's the most important important thing. Because, like, if you look at Tim Duncan, you look at Rihanna, if you look at Jay Z, if you look at um Kevin Garnett, you look at Antoine Walker, if you look at Iverson, all of them had financial advisors, and guess what happened? Yeah. Yep.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you never Good lied. You never lied on that
2: one. I think it's important money. that you just gain a lot of knowledge yourself, and then when it's the and it's right then obviously you want to try to find that investor that, that you can partner with and and you can kind of um go through the journey along with at the same time and not just somebody just trying to take your money and do all these deals that you don't even know about and then all of a sudden the money's not there you didn't do your research on the person so what do you expect you know so, yeah, I think, and it happens from time to
0: time again in, in the inter- entertainment industry, you know? I think now it's just, like, we just got to smarten up, you know? Right on. Well said. Absolutely. So we, uh, we got a couple uh, questions for the mailbag, and then we're going to get you up out of here, Cap. Again, we appreciate the time. So okay. it's not going to be rapid fire. You can take your time with it, but it's just some things that we probed uh, our audience to kind of ask you why we had you on the show.
2: Mailbag music.
0: So okay. when you were at Rutgers, um... What was your course of study? What was your major while you were there? Uh,
2: African-American studies in the African diaspora and I'm major in
0: sociology. So I double majored. Nice. nice. And if the follow-up is if you didn't make it to the pros, what were you gonna do uh, for a living if you weren't a basketball player?
2: I always said when I was a kid that I was gonna be a school teacher. Mm. But I think that proved to be a lie. You still taught you uh, still taught
0: a couple of them. I you still taught some people on the court though, <laughs> Professor Pondexter.
2: Um, I think I think I will be in the entertainment industry still for sure because I just think that's where I belong. Um, so it would have been something. Um, I've always been a reader and writer, so I mean, you never know. You know, you never know. Yeah. But I think I think the entertainment industry. I think I was just born for it.
1: Yeah, you seem like a natural. It seems like that would be definitely for your sure. line. She need sure. to be on Billions
0: with KD in a minute, right? Talking to Axe about making some <laughs> deals and texts. <laughs> Wait, sure. on that, that, that Billions cameo.
2: That's Hell right. Bag music.
0: <laughs> you a killer with the kicks, too. You was always seen in a pair of Kobe's. Obviously, you coming from the shot. You coming from the city, so you know Mike's was the, was the thing. And you done said it in multiple interviews. Oh if God. you didn't have mics, you was a lame. Like, we we wasn't even talking to you.
1: <laughs> what's your
0: favorite pair of sneakers to hoop in during your career? And what's your favorite pair of sneakers to wear? What's your beaters, like your everyday go-tos? If you got to go to the store, if you got to, like, just be seen, what's the ones that you go to? Mine are the bread ones. Those are my beaters. Mo, what's yours?
1: Definitely. Yeah. My beaters wow. are my Jordan Fives, actually, or a pair of Air Maxes, Air Max 97s and 95s.
2: I was just looking at that five because that new five is kind of interesting. That's the coming great, out. The great,
1: the purple one with yeah. the great yeah. tongue
2: and then are you, the fire.
1: Oh, you talking about the oh, top, top threes? Top three, they man. dropped last week.
2: They oh. did already. Mm-hmm. I'm
1: late.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you got but connects
1: though. You know you'll get a pair.
2: My my go-to would be the definitely the um. The Travis Scott. You know, like, like, that's the, a flex. Not the low tops. That's, the, but
0: the high tops. that's still that's a, a flex. flex. She said, those oh, the Everybody beaters." Yeah, you know when I gotta go outside, that's I get the, the mail. You know, you you know, know what I'm saying? When I gotta go down the street real quick to the corner no. store, I just throw the that's Travis a, Scott ones on. Something light, Some regular, daggler. No, you gotta, you gotta
2: see how they look. They look like Chuck Taylors. That's like i i've never i didn't even take care of these but i like the look because they worn and ones look cool right. when they like that i think yeah. in my
1: opinion
2: mm-hmm. um but yeah travis scott this is my go-to right now. travis scott ones of
1: flame. got you
2: he he's doing his thing in the shoe and i can't even hold you
1: he is i mean he should make it so we can all get the shoes <laughs> that'll be a little bit better <laughs> yo you know? They uh, said he no, don't mind me though. I'm just over they said here. They so. had a rumor
0: uh Air Jordan oh. 3 coming out, but they pulled that off. And then you obviously you know the Dior ones is coming. And he been all over the internet with them on. So. Mm. They're going
2: crazy. How much they worth right 15,
0: now? $15,000. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to change uh, my life I get a hand on if I get my hands on them for sure. <laughs> 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 all
2: right,
0: a couple more.
1: You live that, You
0: live in LA now, born and raised, or born in California, raised in Chicago, you lived in New York City, the top three markets, top three media markets in the world, or in the country. Tell us the one thing in each city that appeals to you and the one thing in each city that you cannot stand. So I've, before you answer, so me, I've lived in New York. I lived in New York for six years, obviously born and raised in Chicago, and lived in Miami. The one thing i couldn't stand in new york was the subway especially if you miss a train so just thinking along those lines obviously you wasn't taking trains we believe it you know what i'm saying you big time but a few times
2: a few times, a few times. <laughs> just to see just to see how
0: it was just to be adventurous but yeah so to, so give us one thing uh, that you love and hate about each city uh
2: so you want me to talk about new york la just, yeah Chicago. those three All right, so I'm gonna start with Chicago because that's where my heart is at. Um, You know, that's the humble beginning. One thing I love about Chicago is how like we got our own language that can't nobody get or understand. Facts. Um, (laughs) From our food to our clothes um, and to our conversation. The thing that I hate about Chicago is that it's the most segregated racist city in the world. And and I hate that cause it's such a beautiful city, you know, but it's obviously it's just one of those cities that just never recover from the conversations that we're having today. Um, New York. One thing I loved about New York is, is I would say Harlem. Harlem, downtown, being in Harlem was downtown. like Spanish Harlem was, was, it was so peaceful to me. It was like one of the, you know, when you look at the New York movies or you think about Brooklyn. You know, you think about those brownstones, you think about just the c- community and camaraderie. It was really like that, and I felt it when I lived in Spanish Harlem. And so, I think the thing that I hated about New York was probably the smell and the
1: rats.
2: That bothered me, you know what I mean? At times, like you can go past like a certain block, and you're like, damn, why is this block <laughs> like this?" Uh, Okay, so for me about LA, what I love, I love, I love waking up to good weather and nature. I think it's the most beautiful landscape that we have in America. Yeah, um, nothing like get it. Get up at like four in the morning, five in the morning, six in the morning, seven, like early hours, and just to see like the skyline, to see the mountains, to see the city, to see the palm trees, to see the nature and the bird. Like it's just amazing. It's beautiful. And the one thing that I would say that I hate about LA. Probably the fact that all the boys and girls sleep with
1: each other around here. I hate it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I heard about it LA. I heard about it, yeah. That's funny. I thought she was gonna, the gonna say the traffic. Here, you know? I thought she was gonna say the traffic. I swear, I thought I was like, she was gonna say the traffic. Oh, Damn, all right. It's yeah. hard to date out
2: here. It's hard to <laughs> date out here. And it sucks, cause like, when you meet somebody, like, nah, nobody don't know this person. And then like, all of a sudden you add them on Instagram, <laughs> they know everybody.
0: That sounds like over. an episode
1: of Insecure like, right there.
2: Oh, so I seen- <laughs> oh,
1: man. That's a fact.
2: But amazing uh, cities, all of them. I had the privilege, like you guys said, to play in every last city. Um, And now I don't want to leave LA. I want to spend the rest of my life here. You know, um, I think it's a great place to retire and end up. Dope. Super dope. Mailbag uh, music.
1: Next question. A couple more to go. All right. Being from the Shah. You've been around anyway, the whole US. But i am limited straight to the shot. Who was the best hooper you seen? And I'ma just go ahead and just separate it. You can give me the best male hooper and the best female hooper. But if you just wanna give me one person, that's cool too. Wow.
2: Oh, now I'ma do female, Natasha Pointer. Shout
1: out Natasha Whitney Point. Young. Mm-hmm. She
2: was the best female that i ever seen play. She was my mentor. She's the reason why I went to Rutgers, like one of the reasons. Shout out Whitney okay. Young she um, introduced me to you know Coach Stringer, Coach Law and the whole like Rutgers College and stuff like that. Um I would say Mel. <clears> That's <throat> so tough. That's I hope tough. that feels <laughs> me. Um sh- shout out every player that played basketball and followed their dreams from college, from high school to college, college to the NBA. And if you're still playing, I love you and
1: I have respect for you. But the best player to me was Will Bynum. Will the Will thrill, thrill Bynum. Hey, I'm, I'm with you on that. Will Bynum was, he still yeah, got savage. you. He still got you. I remember um, a clip uh, when I was watching the big three, he hit somebody with the sham. It was a tween, between the legs, sham, like some type of weird move I've never seen in my life before. And... Why he's not in the league? I don't understand. But Will Bynum got G. I, he
2: I was, he was five ten, like with a forty-some inch vertical, nasty. and so much power. And like when he dunked, he meant it. Like he meant, like you could feel it. You could feel it. Like I've never seen nobody that explosive at that size. And Danny had a handle.
1: Yeah, his handle was nasty.
2: Danny's jump shot was like it was. It, it was like it was he he jumped so high that it was just like it perfect art but then obviously like he went to college and then played in the pro a little bit and his jumper got way better but i mean he was an incredible athlete to watch in high school and uh, you know he had his opportunities in the league i think he really succeeded with Detroit right. yep. i think they let allowed Man. him to to play his game and I think that was, I think that was, like, super important for him. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going Will Bynum and
1: Natasha Point. Will Bynum. If y'all haven't seen that Hezzy, uh, Hezzy uh, Sham that he did in the big three, I'll go look at that clip. I'm, I've seen it a Natasha lot. And Natasha
2: of- Point too, because she, t- she, she got the Sham guard too. The Sham
1: guard with the Hezzy? Oh, my God. Was, I think that's one of the illest moves been. ever. You ain't uh, know. That's it was
2: no, those two were like the coldest, like ball handlers coming out of Chicago for me, and they taught me a great deal. So,
1: I'm Nobody could be mad at you for those, for those two at all. Nobody. I'm glad you you gave a little disclaimer, but sh- nobody should be mad at you today. No, because <laughs> I,
2: don't, you know, I don't want nobody like Will Bynum. Like, what about what about this guard? What about that guard? You Tell him go Will, because everybody think Derrick Rose is the goat of Chicago, which he is a goat of Chicago. Shout out but it was something about Will Bynum's prowess that was a little different from Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose was like, you could see the, you could see the like the, the athleticism when he dunked or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I still feel like Derrick. Had, had so much more potential to dig
1: yeah. into. It seemed like he was taking it easy when he was in high school a little bit. Like he didn't high like high school, really, college, college. Yeah, uh, and then he took off when he got to the league. Like you, like damn, it, he could do all of that for real. It seemed it like he just was very like quiet, easy
2: with no expressions on his face. Yeah. You
1: know,
2: <laughs> I just always felt like Derek was could be like potentially better than Michael Jordan or something. You know, that was just always my mindset. I think we all I, did. I felt that he had that, but you know, he had to go through a lot of injuries that kind of slowed his game down, but Will Bynum to me, you know, to ask the question, definitely, he was Absolutely. my go-to. Mailbag right, music. we finna put
0: you in a pressure cooker real quick before we get you up out of here. Serious right. though, right, <laughs> let me turn the music off for this one, for real. You ready?
2: i'm ready i'm ready i was born ready
0: chicago classic harold's or uncle remus quick
2: i'm going here
1: she already answered it what'd you say cap
2: harold's
0: ah tell them why
1: tell them why (laughs) tell (laughs) them why Why. that fried chicken and
2: that mouth sauce and hot sauce just (laughs) that's
1: a fact shout out to uncle remus but i'm, I'm taking harold's all day i'm yeah.
2: going harold's i just don't like that double fried chicken you know what i'm saying and uncle remus does that and i'm just like dang is this chicken oh or
0: <laughs> you
2: know is this supposed to be like this but a lot of people like uncle remus i just i'm cool i like heroes i'm going heroes so we
0: know y'all are out there in la we know y'all on y'all tacos and y'all asian fused. cat Har- just told Har-
1: y'all now. it is know? i heard when i i, came heard. Out LA, I yeah, got some yeah, i was yeah. surprised i was like Harold had to go the, the wait and the wait was still long now i made yeah. my order like yeah, it's <laughs> gonna be about 35 minutes i'm like damn <laughs> yeah <laughs> for sure
0: cappy we appreciate you coming through definitely from oh, small fry God. to the hall of fame thank, thank you so God. much continue so to enough. shine your light let us know what you got coming up I know you can't give us all the jewels and gems, so it's all good. We're gonna let you continue to do your thing, but where can people find you at? Tell them what you got going on, what we should be on the lookout for. I
2: mean, I'm just, I'm enjoying retirement. You know, like I'm not putting pressure on anything. Like I said, like I'm really working on writing this movie. I'm in Hollywood now. So it's like, I'm just trying to sit at the tables. Hopefully my script get read by some very um, incredible people. You know, I'm just making connections now. I'm just trying to get acclimated. I've only been in Hollywood now where people, where I've been shaking hands for like two years, you know, and it's a lot different mm. It's entertainment industry. So I'm still making my way, still making my name known around here and just, you know, everything that I've kind of accomplished to what I want to do now. Like I'm telling my story, the transitional part. So, you know, it's been really great. You know, I'm looking forward to writing this movie. I think it's going to be um, special. Um, and whatever Allah caused me to do, you know, I love helping kids. I love helping the community. I love um, helping and talking about gun violence prevention. So it's a lot of things that you know, if 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 it's necessary and I feel like it's necessary, then I'm gonna put the work in, and you know, I just make sure I do that with these different organizations whenever I have time or when I see fit. And so, yeah. I'm just enjoying retirement, guys. I don't have no big story on. I'm not like everybody, like, yeah, look out for this new t shirt or this, <laughs> da da da. Nah, it's just me enjoying retirement, getting to know myself as a woman. You know, I, I haven't done that um, none really my whole career. So now I get to really dive into what Cappy likes, what she wants. Uh, I'm just getting enjoying meeting new people to make connections with because that's what's important. You know, like, I gotta add this because, like, when when you're playing basketball and you're you're in the limelight, you don't really connect with people, you know. You're just focused on your work. But it's not until after you're out of that bubble where you start realizing, like, nah, it's important to network and connect with people. And I mean, in the in the in the in the authentic way. I'm not saying like. Quick business move or this and that, you know what I'm saying? I'm just saying right. like very authentic way to 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 make something really happen. I think you focus on that when you're done playing basketball, and you can see that. Like if you guys, I don't know if you have the, hopefully you have the opportunity to interview other, you know, basketball players that are not playing, and they can tell you the same story. You know, the same things happen, and it, and it's cool when you're able to network and, and and build, you know, from just you the person, not the basketball player.
1: Got and you. I'm really enjoying it doing that so dope I mean Cappy this is our eighth episode and good luck guys and and you thank you thank you and you blessed us and we definitely appreciate it and it wasn't and I just want to let people know it wasn't like I knew you I just happened to just hit you with a message praying that you hit me back and hit me back within two minutes and was like yeah let's build and I'm like for real like so I really I definitely definitely appreciate that you taking the time out
2: uh, I, I like you. your conversation I like your approach and yeah oh. <laughs> Cause, nah, cause like it happens every single day and then yeah. you got to filter through. I don't have a manager anymore so yeah. I have to filter through things myself and when I was filtering it I was just like nah as the coach was right it sounded yeah. professional it was no bs I'm like yo yeah. let's get it done why not you know, it's Pre- a perfect time to collaborate Pre- with Pre- other African Americans, Africans. I don't know. I don't know y'all nationality, but oh, other
1: Africans. African, African, hundred percent, got in right here,
2: exactly. For sure,
0: Cappy. I want to tell you when we first started. When we first started to conceptualize the podcast, your name was the first one that came up, that. and we were like, we just gonna shoot. No, it's no, That's no, really no lying. BS. It's like, not lying. No, no pun intended. No cap. Like when we <laughs> were first talking about this, we were like, yo. If we can get cap, bro, like, and when we pulled the trigger on it, and Mo hit me and said, "Yo, we can do this," I literally said, "Like, bro, I feel like we're robbing a bank and getting away with it because <laughs> this is beyond a blessing for us." And I want you to know from from myself and from Mo, whatever you do, wherever you go, you always gonna have supporters in the Hitmen. We appreciate you stepping up and coming on and chopping it up with us. Thank we you
1: love man. you. Thank you for everything. Let us know when that movie premiere is. Court.
2: I uh, got gotcha. y'all. Yeah, no problem. We has going to talk about
1: it. <laughs> Absolutely. We know we will. All
2: right, brothers. It was great. Right, stay My safe, love. Queen. Stay safe. Thank up. you Appreciate so you. much. Okay. All right, Cap. All
1: right, bye. Oh, oh, oh.
0: There it is, oh, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Oh, Oh, oh.
1: The goat herself.
0: The goat, the queen, the queen of Chicago. You see how she came on smooth, bro.
1: Yeah, I mean that's how her game was. Her game was ferocious, but it was still smooth, you know. And- Monstrous. Yeah, definitely. Shout out to Cappy Pondexter for coming by shout the podcast. Shout out to Cap. For, you know, with that interview, gave us so much insight into the life of a of a pro athlete. Some things that you don't even think about that they go through. You know who would who would have known she had PTSD from you know, playing a game that she loves—that's crazy. You got to think, bro.
0: She's been around the world. You're talking about a multi-time WNBA champion, multi, like a, a, a Olympic gold medalist. She's she's seen it. She's seen it every which way it could be done, bro. And still has the grace and has the char- the charisma, even in you know retirement, to come and chop it up with a couple of bums that just want to bust it up about sports right. and sneakers, man. So. Definitely. Shout to Cappy Pondexter. We appreciate you. All the love and admiration in the world goes out to you and your new endeavors. We can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Man. That
1: was dope, man. <laughs> that was dope. That. Was Where dope. do we go from
0: here, bro? How you follow that?
1: I don't know, but we have to figure it out. So <laughs> we got to figure it out some way, but you know, um, that was that was dope, that was dope. And uh, you know, kudos to her and what she has going on and everything that she's gonna be, you know, getting into in the future. is nothing but up for her. And you can tell that she's, you know, genuinely happy in the space that she's in in life right now. So that's all that matters, you know? And uh, just her speaking on, you know, social issues I just want to tap back into that, and you know, shout out to those still fighting a good fight. Shout out to those first responders, um, making sure that people stay healthy. You know, um, still a critical time. Let's not forget, arrest them bums that you know killed Breonna Taylor. Clowns. I mean, come on now. You know, we still we still fighting a fight. This stuff's still going on every day. So, you know, uh, shout out to those people still on the front lines. We appreciate you. Yeah. No. Don't think of them barbecue
0: grill starting to roll out that we done forgot, Goofy. Not at all. Y'all need to bring them to to justice. Not at all. Breonna Taylor, killers are still on the loose. We miss you, George Floyd. We miss you, Breonna Taylor. We're going to keep fighting the fight. We're going to keep standing on high, making sure that y'all deaths wasn't in vain. Absolutely. Y'all check us out each and every week. Hit us up. The Hitman Podcast at gmail.com. Check us out on Instagram at The Hitman Podcast at Labeled and Known at M O underscore S A L 1. We're going to be back with y'all next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Peace. Peace. What happened here was a miracle, and I want you to fing acknowledge it.
1: All right, it was a miracle. Can we go now? Can we go now? We go now. <laughs>
0: Yeah.